Bible nearby, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 4. As we progress together through Lent, last Sunday and this Sunday and next Sunday, we'll be looking at the, the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And as I said at the beginning, uh, last week we looked at the first encounter where the Satan shows up and tries to take advantage of the vulnerability uh, that is obvious uh, given the circumstances where Jesus is. He's alone. He's in the wilderness. He has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, So he's obviously very weary. He is very hungry. Um, Maybe even kind of, you know, hallucinating. You know, you just never really know. But there's a a strength that... uh, there's a strength about him in those moments. That he may be physically weak, but spiritually when you've been praying and fasting for 40 days, you're pretty much invincible. And so, uh, so Satan comes along to try to tempt him and you know, see kind of what happens. And so um, let's, let's read that first account. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the, de- by the devil. Okay, so notice... Um, I think I said this last week too, that, that the Spirit of God, so God Himself initiates this. This isn't Satan being like, oh, I'm going to go tempt this dude. It says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this is God's idea to put Jesus in this situation and to tempt him. So that's kind of interesting. We'll probably talk about that more later on. Uh, so verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's quoting uh, from Deuteronomy, where uh, they, um, God had been feeding the children of, of Israel with manna, and he kind of let them be hungry and let them struggle so that he could build their faith and their trust in him. So God, being this, he's this incredible strategist, he says, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you struggle and force you to turn to me so that you see, you see that I'm good. In other words, he's saying, you don't have the faith that it's going to take right now, so I'm going to put you in a situation that's going to build that faith. And so what came out of that was this idea that it's not about the circumstances in Israel. It's not about uh, food or water. It's not about any of those kinds of things. It's about, has God said he's going to take care of us or not? And if God has said he's going to take care of us, then he's going to take care of us. And that, that God will feed us. It may not be when we want it. It may not even be what we want. But he's going to do what's best for us. So when, so, so when Jesus quotes that verse, like I said at the beginning, he's basically saying, look, um, you don't feed me. Um, I don't even feed myself, create my own, my own food. My food comes from the Father. And last week, we really just kind of centered in on some of those, those patterns of, of sin that we have in our lives sometimes that, that come down to just some, just some behavioral stuff where you just, you just keep 
falling into this over and over and over again, that in times when you are vulnerable, um, and whether that vulnerability is uh, emotional or spiritual or physical or social or whatever, um, in those vulnerable moments, there will be temptations to, instead of letting God feed you, for you to try to create your own food somehow, to look to someone or something or create control, some sort of situation that will try and fill the void that that vulnerability has created. And so that's how we identify with this temptation. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. But Jesus, he knew the goodness of God and he said, no, I'm not going to fall into the trap of trying to feed myself and control this situation. I'm going to let the Lord take care of the vulnerability that I have in this moment. And so if you weren't here last week uh, and you are a podcaster, I would encourage you to go check that out. Tonight we'll move to the second temptation. So that one didn't work. So verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All right? So there'll be, there'll be kind of two, two landing points tonight. Maybe one hits home with you more than the other. Maybe it's both of them. You know, whatever. maybe it's neither. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, so the first one, we're going to look at, at the, just the nature of this, of this temptation. And, and we, there's some things that we see about temptation that I believe we can all relate to. So that you notice the first, uh, in verse 5, the, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Okay? So the pinnacle of the temple would be the highest point from the ground. And so there's no flat ground in, in Israel. And so there's this one particular corner of the temple mount that, it, that there's a greater distance from the ground to the top of it. And it's just one corner. And um, a couple years ago, you guys just blessed the heck out of me and sent me to... to um, Israel on this trip with uh, Pine Cove. And so we were, we were walking, you know, doing the tour of the Temple Mount, and it's just, just amazing, and you're just kind of in awe. And we come around this corner, and we're looking at these, like this, the, the foundational stone, stones that are there on this one corner, and the, all, just how intricate it is, and how it's just, just phenomenal that's still there, and it's just incredible. And our guide's like, oh yeah, by the way, this, is, this would be considered, this is the highest point from... Uh, from the top of it to the ground. So that corner right there, that's where Jesus would have been brought in his temptation. So, all right, let's keep going. And we're all like, wait, hold up. Right there? <laughs> and, uh, and so it's just, I mean, just imagine, um, you know, several stories tall at uh, this point. And so that's what Satan is trying to tell him. He's like, hey, throw yourself off of this. Now, the Temple Mount, well, that was the hub of everything. There's people everywhere. It was the centerpiece. And so... So the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Like literally, jump off the side of this building. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands He will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Let me, let me give you three things. And I, Sometimes I try to do three things, and sometimes the Bible just does three things. I know every preacher does three things, and so I always feel... Feel weird. I'm gonna try to make them not. I'll start with the same letter. That'll make me feel a little bit better uh, about that. Um, actually, they don't start with letters at all. Uh, the, there are three things that that we see that that when we're tempted, I mean, they do start with letters. That's not what I meant. Uh, <laughs> it's like ampersand, and then we'll go. Uh, you're impressed that I know what that is, aren't you? 
Um, there are three things that, that, that we see in a, in a situation where we're being tempted, things that get twisted. And this is not always, not always like the devil that's doing this. Um, I mean, sometimes there, there are those the, like, the demonic forces that are there, absolutely. Sometimes, though, it's our flesh that twists stuff. And sometimes it's just the world and all the false narratives that we get and the lies that are coming our way and stuff. So I don't want us to sit here and, be, and blame everything on the devil um, and, or whatever. But just in those, in those moments when we are tempted to do whatever, these things, I think, are patterns that we can see where things get twisted around. The first one, he says, if you are the Son of God, he says it in the first one too, first temptation too. If you're the Son of God, then why don't you prove it? And so your sense of identity is going to get twisted around sometimes when you're being tempted. That's what he's doing here uh, with Jesus. And what's, I mean, it's weird because he's like, if you're the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Prove it by doing this. Prove it by turning these stones to bread. Prove it by jumping off this building, you know. Um, And right before this, like right before this, Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus is baptized, um, if you remember, it's one of those, like, Times when the Trinity is like tangibly present uh, in unique ways. So you have Jesus being baptized. You have the Spirit descending on him in the form of, of a dove. And then you have the Father speaking from heaven that says, This is my Son, who I'm well pleased. And so his identity has already been secured. He doesn't have to prove it. You have to prove it to anybody. It's, it's done. It's been spoken. And so here's Satan come along trying to say, well, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you prove it? So that's, that's one thing that's going to get twisted. The second thing that we see is twisted is going to be the, the truth of God's word. Um, Satan, maybe he learned from the first one he, when he was like, man, that dude came back at me with Scripture. So I'm going to come at him with Scripture. And so he quotes uh, Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He twists Psalm 21 into trying to mean something that it doesn't really mean. So Psalm 91 has nothing to do with, uh, if you are God's child, you can just do the most ridiculous things and you'll never get hurt. But that's what he's trying to say right there, right? He's like, throw yourself off this building because, I mean, it says that like, he, his angels are going like, to catch you. And you're not going to hit the rocks. Tries to twist it. Tries to make it mean something that it doesn't really mean. You read Psalm 91 and it has nothing to do with being like, let's go do really stupid things and make God catch us. Psalm 91 is about the security of knowing that sometimes you get in a bind. And when, you, when you're in a tough situation, the Lord is there to care for you. So it doesn't, it's not licensed to be dumb. It's the goodness of God when we have already been dumb. But Satan twists it into like, no, jump out the building, man. He'll, totally have to, he'll have to catch you because you're the son of God, right? That's what he's twisting around. And then, here's one that's it's not explicitly written, but it's implied. Is that he will twist God's character into being something that is there for your personal gain. Because what happens if Jesus jumps off the building, the angels come in and catch him, there's people everywhere, and they're like, did you see that dude jump off that building? And he did not get hurt. 
Next thing you know, he's a celebrity. Not God's plan to jump off the building. Satan's saying, force God to catch you, and then you'll be famous. And then you'll be well known. And isn't that what you came here to do in the first place? For everybody to know who you are? And so you put these together. He's like, okay, so you're God's son. So go jump off the building. Make him catch you. And then, like, there, there it is. Your, your public ministry. You're there. Then you can, like, save the world or whatever you want to do. It's, it's subtle. But, man, it is twisted. And here's, here's how it shows up in, in your life and in my life. I'm just going to give one, one example. Because I, I think that's really, uh, it's all I came up with in my prep. I think it might be all that we need. You take your identity, you take the truth of God's word, and you take forcing, like twisting God's character into something that uh, is there to like serve you and your desires. And here's where here's what it becomes. Um, it's like okay, so you're you're a saint, right? You're a saint. God's son, God's daughter. Psalm 23 loves you. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, right? He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Nothing can separate you from His love, right? I mean, all things together, you know, all that. You're His. So you can do this, and guess what? He has to forgive you. He has to. Right? Jesus already died for it, right? So why, why not? Like, why not just... Just go ahead. He already knew you were going to do it anyway, and that's why Jesus came. He takes your identity and twists it, and twists the scriptures, and twists the character of God into being something that is there for our, our agenda. Something that gives us a license. Just go do whatever you want. And God's this big safety net. And he's this big teddy bear. And he's gonna, it's going to be okay. And it's going to, you know, whatever all the time anyway. So why don't you just go ahead and just do whatever, whatever you want. What a terrible, what a terrible thing that sounds so familiar. It may not be, it may not be like something that you're like cognitive of. You know, like, that might not be the logical, like, deal that you would write in your journal and be like, and that's why I did it, you know. But I think there's a part of us that is, um, we're, we're, so, um, we're so comfortable in, in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, but maybe not always in the most accurate ways. And so sometimes we, we love that we're forgiven and we love what we're forgiven of, but we forget what we're forgiven for, you know? Um, that we're freed from sin to love Him in obedience and to walk in holiness and, and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes in, the, in this kind of temptation, we twist truth into being like, okay, so I can just kind of get away with it again. And that... Uh, that's just, it's a tough. It's just a tough thing for us to work through, and I'm afraid that uh, a lot of times we just we don't talk about that aspect of things enough, and so even not talking about it kind of becomes license. And so I think I think that's a part of why God is going has us in this tonight. Is to be like, okay, um, 
let's, let's stop acting like our struggle with sins are just, just no, no big deal. And it's been in community groups the last couple of weeks too. I think he's wanting us to understand, not because he's fussing at us or whatever. I think he's saying, look, abundant life is about, it's about more than this get out of jail free card gospel that a lot of times you know, we live with. And the gospel is about becoming Jesus and being holy because he is holy. It's about preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded and setting our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, not conforming to the patterns of our former ignorance, but being holy in all our conduct because He is holy. It's in First Peter. It's very, very clear. Um, and so we have to, we have to have the courage to say, "Man, I, that's a temptation that I am very familiar with." And so that's that's one kind of landing point that I, th- I think God just might have for some of us tonight is okay. Let's let's deal with this. Let's do it tonight. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's start to deal with this. But let's look at Jesus' response as a counter of this. He says, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Alright? Turn to Exodus 17. What Jesus is saying in verse 7, he is, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, 6, which points to Exodus 17. This is what 6.16 6, says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested Him at Massah. As you tested Him at Massah. So in Exodus 17, we see what happens at Massah. Start verse 1. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and... The elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, which means, that means quarreling and testing, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, check this out, is the Lord among us or not? Now, Exodus... 17 comes after Exodus 16. You know what happened in Exodus 16? Same exact thing. 
16 comes after 15. You know what happened in 15? Same exact thing. So this is the third time they've gotten into a situation where there's no water immediately. The previous two times, God had provided food and water for them. Not to mention the fact that they were enslaved. They watched all the plagues. They watched the exodus. They crossed the Red Sea. They'd been guided by a, a pillar of fire and a cloud. They had manna and they had water. And all the, thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And here they are in 17 being like, Where's all the water? Why did you bring us here to kill us? And Moses is like, Are you kidding me? Again? What's it going to take? So Deuteronomy 6 is pointing back to this story. He says, don't test the Lord your God like you did then. And for the rest of the history of Israel, when you say Massah or Meribah, they know. Yeah, that's when our people just, they just didn't really get it. They just didn't really see that God was sovereign and caring for them and providing for them. They were super, they were self-centered and they were demanding. They wanted it their way on their timeline and they just, they were just clueless. And so the temptation of jumping off the building, Jesus says, I'm not going to test God because they may not have learned in the desert. He's like, but, but I, I know what they failed to know, which is this. That God has already demonstrated everything that I need to know to entrust myself to Him. I have no reason to jump off of this. I have no reason to create my own timeline, to create my own destiny in this. I have no reason to control this. I have, I have no reason to look at the Lord and like the Israelites say, is the Lord among us or not? Because I know, because I've tasted and I've seen that he is good. And so I think he's saying, they may not have really understood it, but I, I, I get it. I think this temptation comes down to convincing ourselves sometimes that God is somehow deficient. You know, that he is... Not quite as good at his job as we think he should be or that we would be in his spot. And so the temptation is don't trust him, just trust yourself. And it's a lot like the one last week, but it's kind of different. This, I think this one lands in a, in a place where where we have to look at it and we have to say, they, they looked at it and they said, we know he's done this and this and this and this and this, but it's not enough. And I think we have to be able to look and say, God's done this and this and this and this and this, so why wouldn't he care for me in this moment? Why would I try and be the vine instead of being a branch? He's the perfect vine. He's the true vine. He's... The holy vine says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so there's nothing deficient in his life as the vine. So why in the world would I try and take over for him?
And so Jesus just simply says, no. Nope, I'm not going to do that. I don't have anything to prove. I know who I am. I know who he is. I know how he works. No. And so when, when temptation comes our way, and a part of that is the twisting of our identity or the truth of God, the character of God, and it's like, yeah, but you're, you're no condemnation, right? It's no condemnation, no problem. No, that's, that's not what it's about. And I don't know how that like, works, works into your life. But I, think this, I think this kind of connects to last week as well. And I think there's a, a part of us that needs to just have like, just some real talk with the Lord sometimes and say, like, why? why in the world would I, uh, why would I keep wanting to test Him and like, try to prove something weird about Him in my life? Why, why would I like, keep judging people? Why would I keep giving in to my battles with lust or materialism? Why would, I, why would I keep trying to find security in other people? You know, I mean, why would I, why would I lie? Why would I steward my money poorly? Why would, I, why would I keep doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this instead of just entrusting myself to the God of the Exodus and the God of the plagues and the God of the water out of the rocks and the water and the God of manna and the God of the pillar of cloud a pillar of fire and the God of the cloud in the sky and the God of all of the Old Testament and the God of all of the New Testament and the God of the cross and the God of the resurrection and the God of the ascension why would I not entrust myself to this beautiful shepherd who's coming and saying like I will lead you down this path of righteousness Guess where the path is going? It's always coming to me. It's always coming toward me. Why? Why would I? Like why? Why would I? That's so ridiculous. And so sometimes in the face of temptation, it's just like last week. It was like it's like ask yourself why? Why am I? Why am I continually giving myself over to this? And this week, I think it's simply I think the word will be no. 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 It's absurd. It's just that simple. I think sometimes in temptation, I think we just get caught up in it. You know? We get caught up in, the, in, in that vulnerability and that emotion. Sometimes we don't have our wits about us. And so a part of living in community is it helps us put down roots that helps us keep our wits about us all the time. It gets to where you're, you, aren't, um, you aren't duped. When you're trying to twist identity, twist truth, twist God's character, you're like, no, indeed. It's ridiculous. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more I think that you'll find that that becomes more and more solid. The more you build your life on the rock of who God is. So I think that's what it comes down to. Is Jesus is like, I know who God is. What you're, what you're asking me to do is something that someone would do if they didn't know who the Lord was. But I, but, I, but I do. And so, no. Just that's, no. 
And so I don't know where it lands with you. I don't know if, if it's the, the temptation itself where you're like, oh, man, that hits kind of close to home. Or if you're like, yeah, I'm kind of one of those, I'm kind of one of those people where I just, I'm, just not, uh, I'm just not really looking at who the Lord is in the way that I need to. Well, let's learn from Jesus, who was learning from the Israelites, who were saying, is the Lord among us or not? And the answer is yes, he is. There's no doubt. He's among us, and He is good, and He is sovereign, and He is holy, and He loves you more than you realize. And He will lead you, He will guide you, He will correct you, He will discipline you. He's the vine. You're not the vine. I'm not the vine. He's the vine. So I think there's a lot we can learn from Jesus' victory in the face of temptation. And we just need to be good stewards of whatever it may be. And so I'm going to pray for us. So we're going to sing, we're just going to sing some songs of confidence in who God is. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you that our identity is, is secure, just like Jesus' identity was secure. And that your character and the truth of your word are things that do not change. They don't shift. Um, God, I'm grateful that you're not, you're not moody. Uh, you're not... Uh, you don't sleep or slumber. You don't take days off. You aren't distracted. I thank you, God, that you're 100% present all the time, everywhere. That you're just as present and you're, there's just as much fullness of your being here in this room as there is in heaven. And God, we just we need to we need to continue to learn to live in that reality. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow more and more comfortable in this in this kind of truth. So that when we're tempted with things that are that are off track, we just spot it right away. And we just have that same attitude as as Jesus did. We're like, just no. That we see disobedience and pride and control and just giving in to our own vulnerabilities. We see those things. It's just absurd to us. God, that you would move us from last week where we're, we're asking why and we're really seeking answers and you would bring us down that path of righteousness to the point where we're so confident in who you are that it just seems silly in the, in the light of that kind of truth. We thank you for your word where we're able to look and we're able to, to read and we're able to see just how the, your people for years and years and years have struggled and struggled with this. 
but your spirit lives inside of us and we don't have to be like they were in Exodus 17, confused and stubborn and missing it. Because of your empowerment, Lord, we can we can just look right into the face of temptation and say, no, absolutely not. So help us, Lord, bring us to a place where we see sin as absurd in light of your goodness and your power and your glory and your holiness. We can't get there on our own. So show us the way, Father. You just spend a few moments in prayer and we'll sing here in a second.